We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaways from the Zero RB Watch and Stealing Signals, that is what we're talking about today. On Stealing Bananas, I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. Sean, do, do I do that introduction pretty good? I, I've never written that down. I do that off memory every time. I bet people think I read that. I like it. I like it. I like the, especially the sort of stutter today, the, you know, the staccato, not stutter, the staccato tempo there. Yeah, well, because the music's still fading out. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the listeners appreciate that. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> that was very good. I feel like you're in playoff mode, Ben. That's what this is. And we promised the listeners that we were kind of shifting back into this mentality of doing multiple formats, doing at least some evergreen discussion within shows, not necessarily full evergreen shows. We are going to do some of the takeaways from our articles, but we're also going to discuss some structural elements today and the one of the things that was kind of interesting uh, we talked just over and over about how crazy this season has been and the different types of ways you could get to where you want to go which is to win your fantasy title and hopefully position yourself to be that team that wins the half a million dollars but i was looking at, at our league where we were lucky enough to win on record win on points we were able to get both of those titles and we're now moving into the semifinals. And I guess when you consider that this actually wasn't one of my highest scoring teams, in some ways it makes sense that this was a very balanced type of league. And when I went in today to look and see kind of what we would be dealing with in the playoffs, I discovered something I thought was pretty crazy, right? We talk all the time. 
where you hear all the time about these foundation running backs and how important they are. We know that Jonathan Taylor has been sort of the breakout star of the 2021 season. We know that Austin Eckler has continued his utter dominance as this elite receiving threat out of the backfield. And then we know that Cooper Cup has been the most valuable player in all of fantasy, right? The managers for all three of those teams were unlucky, what have you, and missed. And so we're looking at a playoffs here where there's an Adam Adams Gibson team to start. And we're, again, we're lucky enough to play that team in the semifinals where Adams will be on the bye. And the other two teams are a Kelsey Mixon squad and then a Camara CEH Jefferson Murray squad. That one's kind of crazy. And you and I talked about this. This is one of the teams that made it in with maybe a little bit fewer points, which does happen. One of my teams that made it in made it on fewer points. So you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, and you embrace that when you get those chances. Um, but with Kamara missing so much time, with with CEH missing kind of the entire middle section of the season, and this is kind of a Justin Jefferson team, especially with Kyler Murray having missed these games. And so this is an interesting playoff group. And then one of the things that we talk about is that people can get overly fixated on the first-round pick or overly fixated on, okay, you've got to have the league winners, but it's not just that, right? Because you can have the league winners and not make it if the structure doesn't work out. And so again, I mean, some of the stuff is just luck. We're not saying, okay, the people who drafted these teams necessarily did a horrible job. It is interesting to kind of look and see what's happened and maybe what some of the reasons are that some of these things didn't work out. So with Eckler, it was interesting to note that manager only took four running, uh, four wide receivers in the first 12 rounds. The Cooper Cup team also had Jalen well, Wallace. And even that, I'm looking at it right now, you said four in the first 12, but two of those were nine and 10. I mean, two in the first eight is the way that I would frame it. Only two receivers in the first eight rounds is, but yeah. Well, it's going to be hard, right? Because I mean, you're, you're hoping then to play running backs in the flex spots. And historically, and again, kind of playing out the season, that just doesn't work very well. Now, I mean, if you take Eckler and then you end up with, say, Leonard Fournette and Cordero Patterson, then maybe you can do some flex work there. But a narrow path to making that work. The Cup team also had Jalen Waddle. So Waddle, this, you know, one of the great stories of the 2021 season, maybe not scoring quite as many points as it seems like for how many targets he's gotten, but especially coming off of this big week last week, perhaps pulling teams through, but this team selected six of their first 12 picks were at running back. Yeah. That's less than ideal. <laughs> well, within the context here, we often hear about, okay, well you could do that if you hit on the league winning wide receivers, but we actually have plenty of counter examples too, where, if you hit on the league winning wide receivers, but you have this running back heavy draft, you're actually going to neutralize the value that you get up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you make a great point about structure. This, I mean, this is a great topic. Um, I love these discussions, even though it is, you know, it's almost December. No one's going to be drafting again for, you know, tons of months. Uh, obviously best ballers will be early in the off season, but you know, we're not going to be having these main event drafts until next August. But these are the things we talked about in July and August. I know one of the points, one of the ways that I framed it this year that made sense in my head, I hope it made sense for other people, was that even for like the greatest seasons that we see, 
the win rates they're i mean it's not like the win rates of these leagues are they're not they're not about 50 percent, right we think of them as very high because we're sort of you know relating it to other win rates but when you look at win rates which are typically based on best ball but are going to be reasonably close to redraft uh even for like christian mccaffrey's 2019 which was absolutely legendary and it was legendary in the playoffs it was legendary throughout it got your team to the playoffs it crushed in the playoffs pretty much in any format it was fantastic the the i, I don't know you might remember the actual win rate but it's somewhere in the like 30 percent range which the way that i was framing it this offseason was that means two-thirds of the people who drafted christian mccaffrey didn't win their leagues and that almost seems a little like when you put it that way it almost seems a little crazy because christian mccaffrey was that good that year that it felt like if you had him, you had to win. But two out of three people don't. And why don't they? And the case that I made was it's the, a lot of the people that are looking for the Christian McCaffrey breakout season specifically that go really running back heavy, but they also bake in a lot of bust risk, a lot of lost points in the early rounds of their draft, a, a higher probability of lost points in the early rounds of their draft, such that even when they hit on the Christian McCaffrey season, they have nothing around it, right? It's all structure. It come, if you took Christian McCaffrey that year and then took a ton of receivers, you probably won your. I mean, I think that's a much higher win rate, and I'm sure the best ball tools at, at Rotoviz would show that. I'm, I'm almost certain. But what happens is because you're seeking that thing out so much from a strategic perspective, you're thinking the, the best running backs are the most valuable things, so we got to take a bunch of running backs. We got to find that thing. You're also baking in misses. And then even when you find it, you lose. And this is the exact point that you've just said. The Austin Eckler team takes Saquon Barkley in the second round. We took a lot of Barkley. Obviously think he was a reasonable pick, but he gets hurt. Takes Gus Edwards in the fifth round. Doesn't even obviously make it to the regular season. Three running backs in the first five rounds. You hit on Eckler. You know, unfortunately, you only took two receivers in the first eight rounds that didn't have enough there. You know, it doesn't help that those receivers were Robert Woods and LaVisca Chenault, two of the bigger receiver busts. But that is the range of drafts that all of the top receivers this year came from in these, these first 10 rounds. This round, this range that we told you to take receivers from, this is something I talked about in my Stealing Signals intro this week. The top scorers at running back this, this week, there were, like, going into Monday night, there were, like, eight 20-point running backs. I think both of the Washington backs got there. But only two of them were early round running backs you had Eckler uh and who was the other one I was just talking to you about this oh Mixon was the other one and Taylor was just off the map but you had Fournette up in that 20 point range you had like Dontrell Hilliard you had Elijah Mitchell Javante Williams is more of a mid-round pick you had AJ Dillon in the 20 point range um you know McKissick and Gibson made it so McKissick is another late rounder I mean you you look at where the running back ceilings were this week at this point in the season and this is what we're talking about in draft season it came from a bunch of guys that you didn't have to put a lot of draft capital in and also mix in an Eckler and Gibson. But it's a week like this that to me reiterated, you know, why is your running back can work, why it does work. The receivers, there are some that were, you know, spike weeks. There was Kendrick Bourne and stuff, but nobody was starting Kendrick Bourne, right? People were starting Leonard Fournette. They were starting all of these guys, AJ Dillon, right? They were starting Elijah Mitchell. That's what happens at running back. Yeah, and, and that was the point that, that I was going to chime in there with is that all of these guys were clear starts too. So you're going to have them in the lineup. You mentioned Bourne. We were starting him and going deep then. So climbing back <laughs> in, we got, a, we got a shot there. Uh, with our going deep, we had Mike Clay on. You got to start, uh, is it 13 players? That's a lot. If you, there's Six a, receivers. 
right. for every so, team. So you start Kendrick point, Bourne. You do start Kendrick Bourne. The, the, you mentioned Saquon Barkley here, and it's interesting because uh, that kind of fits in with a, another deal here. So the Jonathan Taylor team also hits on DeAndre Swift. So you hit on Taylor, you hit on Swift, and you still miss. And this was actually something you and I accomplished, right? We did our one robust running back draft. We had those two guys along with Saquon. We kept thinking, okay, if he comes back, you know, we'll have the super team right there. Now we got close, but we did miss. And in part for the reason you mentioned, where you stack a lot of risk in there early and you create a roster that just doesn't have enough overall wide receiver depth. And so this team here that has Taylor, that has Swift, they only have one wide receiver in the first five rounds. And, you know, people think, okay, well, it's bad luck that that one receiver was Calvin Ridley. Maybe this is all different if you draft Justin Jefferson. But the problem is that that's one of the things that happens as you get unlucky. You can get guys who walk away. You can get guys who have trouble off the field. Obviously, receivers get injured too. They don't get injured at the same rate, but they get injured. And so when people ask, where are you guys going to put all those wide receivers? The question is, are you going to still be facing that issue in week 13 or week 17 as you play for the title? The kind of funny thing is that, I mean, you're not going to be, but if you are, then it's because your team is awesome. And so, I mean, you'd love to still be facing those questions that we get at the beginning of the season every year. Where are you going to play all those wide receivers? You'll you'll find a way. If you don't, then you're dominating your league. And so, you know, we get a a situation here where the Taylor Swift team ends up with Ridley, Robbie Anderson, Devontae Smith, DJ Chark, and Jacoby Myers as basically their receiving core. And it's not that that couldn't have worked out, but – I think a lot of times as drafters are putting these teams together, they're thinking in terms of, well, what if every receiver that I have hits the ceiling outcome, then that team along with this robust running back structure is going to be very, very good. That's not the way that it works out. Yeah. And really, I mean, I mean, we think about, and we talked about this a lot in the off season, but the whole idea of, of, of zero RB and the, you know, I, I remember, have my little rant about those six letters and everyone gets so hung up on it, meaning no running backs, but really we talked all about the ways you can detour and all of that, that it's a, it's a philosophy. It's an anti-fragile way of, of drafting. It's uh, you can still take Jonathan Taylor, which we did on so many of our, I mean, they're technically to a lot of people, not zero RB teams to call modified zero RB, RB teams, but like, you know, we talked about how those are fundamentally a lot closer and philosophically a lot closer to an actual zero RB team than one that say doesn't draft any running backs in the first three rounds and then goes away, like takes, you know, a couple of receivers in the first rounds and then goes away from receiver in like the dead zone and starts taking all these running backs. That's not a zero RB team. That's not, not what we're saying to do. Anyway, that philosophy, one of the great joys of it is that it does simplify what you're doing a little bit. And so like you just said, you can look back at this and say, well, but if I had just hit the right receivers in those couple spots where I took the receivers and if I had, you know, avoided the running back bus and everything, but you, the whole point of a draft structure is in some ways to simplify things. It's not to make things more rigid. It's to make things easier, basically. Yes. In hindsight, I mean, one of the things I also wrote about in my intro and signals this week was what happens with draft strategy, philosophy discussions at this point in the year and beforehand, beforehand, we think we can predict things better. And after the fact, we have hindsight bias and we think we should have been able to see better into the past. 
you know, I was talking a little bit in reference to Leonard Fournette, who was, uh, you know, a, a zero RB stud this year and somebody that I don't have anywhere. And I was trying to let myself off the hook a little bit because Giovanni Bernard and, and Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones coming off an 1100 yard season. Fournette had 600 yards last year. Obviously, Fournette had the great playoff run. There's people that thought that was going to carry over, and he had the profile to get all the high-value touches and run the routes, and he's a big back. He could get the TDs with it. It's all played out very, very well for the people who are on Fournette. Kudos. But I do think it was harder to predict in August than it feels like it was now, or it is now. And, and that goes for everything. It goes for looking back at these drafts and, and then also just saying, look, we got unlucky on this or that. And so what you wind up doing at this point in the year is looking back and saying, well, this is the way I could have done it perfectly. If I had just taken these guys in these spots, then I would have been perfect. And, you know, in August, the other thing is like, we're just way too confident in everything we're projecting forward. We don't understand how much chaos there's going to be. That's what we talked about all offseason. No one believes it. Everyone, no one can see the downside for any of this. Then you go look at a draft board now from August and you're like, holy crap, look at all the downside. Look at, look at what happened. Uh, but the point of the zero RB philosophy in this entire draft structure, it does simplify things. When you're taking a lot of receivers in the earlier rounds, that's the range where all of the best receivers from a seasonal standpoint have come from. There are, there are no receivers atop the seasonal uh, scoring list for all the receivers that weren't drafted in the range that we talked about taking a lot of receivers in. None. And then the kind of thing that I wanted to mention here, because I do think it's interesting. I think that we get a sense from some of the rhetoric out there that the people who went with some of these players didn't get the benefit out of it. And yet you look at the four teams that made the playoffs in this particular league, and it's just one league. All of the leagues obviously didn't play out this way. But the playoff teams were 102, drafted Travis Kelsey, and get those tight end points. So even though Kelsey not having a peak Kelsey season, that still put that team in very good position to do the rest of the things they wanted to do. 104, Alvin Kamara, that one a little bit of an outlier, really kind of hard to figure out, you know, how that has worked exactly. 105, Devontae Adams, and 109, Tyreek Hill. So three of the four first-round picks that have advanced were doing the things that we talked about in terms of these star-wide receivers and this elite tight end. There were three of the four teams that didn't take a running back in the first round. There were only four teams in this draft that didn't take a running back, and and three of them are among the the, the four teams that are in the playoffs. Uh, and, and the Kelsey team, AJ Brown, the second round, missed time early, missed time now again last week. Uh, Tyler Boyd as their fourth receiver in the sixth round. Like there there are misses there at receiver too, but also took Deontay Johnson, also took DJ Moore, uh, you know, also circled back for Elijah Moore late, and, and built a really good receiving core. That, that has been huge for that team. The, 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 the point about simplifying though, to me, it, like it is really my favorite point here because like we're not trying to get all this perfect. We're not trying to get all our predictions exactly right. We are just trying to increase our odds of being successful. One of the great joys of that is when you are looking primarily at wide receivers in the first 10 rounds with the occasional detour, you pick your spots at running back, right? You have your guys that you pick your spots on, pick your spots at tight end, Occasionally pick your spots at quarterback as well. Get some really elite players at those positions that you really want to make bets on. But for the most part, you're looking at wide receivers only. And if you're taking enough of them, yes, things can go sideways. We do have some teams that things went sideways. There's been enough receiver misses, frankly. I'm the first one to admit that, where I have some teams that drafted, you know, Judy and Visca and Boyd all on the same roster. And it's just been a rough, it's been a rough go. But 
once you do that, then you're taking all running backs in the range. And you're taking more running backs in the range where James Conner went and Leonard Fournette went and Zach Moss. And uh, Moss hasn't been amazing the whole year. But Tony Pollard and Alexander Madison, we've gotten spot starts out of. I'm just looking at this draft board. All of these running backs in this 10 to 12 range, like they've been good at one point or another. Ramondre Stevenson went in the 12th round in this in this draft. And you know what weeks you're playing those guys when, they're, when their teammates are injured. And, and then – on the waiver wire, our approach every week, Sean, and everyone's approach is to look for the best running backs. And so it simplifies things. We're rarely picking up receivers ever because really the receivers that you pick up usually don't make an impact. It's just sort of what happens in fantasy football, especially in these deeper leagues. So your your approach is so simple. You take a lot of the receivers early. You're going to have receiver depth all year. You take some receive, uh, running backs in the middle rounds. I mean, yes, you have to hit on some things, but it, it, it narrows everything you're doing and then you can zoom in on those things and, and really target the profiles you want to target. But then the thing about the at, the at the end of that, we're on the waiver wire, we're looking at running backs. Yes, you're not going to get them all. Yes, all the people who went running back heavy are all still bidding on running backs. But any of the pickups that you've wanted to make this year, they've been hits, man. Like De- like we've talked about Dernish Johnson and all that stuff. I was just talking about the 20-point backs this week. Dontrell Hilliard was in that group. He was one of the biggest pickups this week for people who are really desperate. Matt Breida was another. He scores again this week. I mean, you know when it's like changing for the better for some of these backs. People pick them up, plug them in, they score. You know, I mean, it, it it's not like it's that easy, but it is something that simplifies everything. We've had every week throughout this year new backs emerge, and then they've seemed to score for the most part. It hasn't been like... Uh, that challenging to have a revolving door at your running back spots, in, in my opinion, at least, and in, in our in our leagues that we've been doing that. Well, and you know, you mentioned too, people are going after you're going to have to compete against the rest of your league. Not everybody gets those guys, and that is true. And at the same time, not everybody wins the league. But not everybody can hit that Jonathan Taylor. Not everybody can hit that Austin Eckler. You've got a better chance and a better structure if you're bidding high. You're going after the Elijah Mitchells and the quarter on Patterson's than if you're trying to do that same thing by paying the huge prices that you get in the first couple of rounds. So then we get back from... And, and real quick before we go, imagine if you did do that and then hit on Fournette in your draft and then hit on Patterson in free agency. I mean, then you hit on guys that you're just starting every single week this year. That's the best possible team right now. I mean, that's... Well, it is kind of funny. And I have to to mention, we talked about it a little bit before, but the, the team that we have with Pat and Pete is in the semifinals that finished second uh it will be facing this week the team that just almost pulled back 85 points against us last week a team that scored 206 just last week now we know that some of the players on that team hit their ceilings we know that that team lost christian mccaffrey i mean imagine where that team would be if mccaffrey were healthy to add in Although this week, you know, if you get some of those performances and not get the dud from McCaffrey that was in the starting lineup. But Ben, how crazy is it that we're going into a semifinal matchup against a team that has Cordero Patterson and Leonard Fournette? And I am absolutely terrified. I'm terrified. Oh my God, I didn't even realize this. I just went and looked at their draft. Started McCaffrey, went four straight receivers. Keenan Allen, Lamb, Deontay, T. Higgins. All of those guys will be in the lineup this week, I assume. Only other running back taken before Fournette in round 11 was Trey Sermon, who obviously has done nothing. And so basically this team has become zero running back 
for all intents and purposes. I mean, obviously there was a little bit of McCaffrey production there, but nothing out of Sermon or, or you know, modified zero RB, anchor RB, whatever. I mean, it, it is, and it's because they went very running back heavy. Now they, but I mean, and I just said, this is the best team you could build. Obviously it's not the best team if you could just handpick everything. But what I meant to say was that it's the best team from a practical standpoint, when you think about our strategy and things like, it would have been the easiest way to get there. If you were doing zero RB and everything, there was this path where if you did wind up with Fournette and Patterson and you took a lot of these receivers early, that team's explosive. And that's, and you, that is a very reasonable way you could have got there playing the way that we play. The alternative is just like having perfect hindsight bias and saying, yeah, I could have taken Jonathan Taylor in the first round and I could have taken, you know, Cooper cup and I could have taken all of these players, but on draft day, that's not possible. You know what I mean? It's not possible to be that perfect. But when you simplify things, there are really – there's paths this year from what we were doing that, that could have just been absolutely home runs. And like you said, this team here looks like one of them. Well, and and but one of the things about the way that you build your team does leave it very possible to accomplish. And so you and I personally, we're not going to have Leonard Fournette uh, for a variety of reasons. But that style of back in most seasons – we're going to be on and then although that style of back that doesn't have all the red flags for Fournette probably goes much earlier in drafts but you have that type of player there you have the situation with Patterson I mean you could very easily you mentioned that that team drafted Trey Sermon um, which in some ways is a little bit of bad luck I mean just imagine if the 49ers hadn't pretty much just misled people <laughs> throughout yeah. the camp and that was Elijah Mitchell there instead I mean what would that team be like and even then with Trey Sermon, you could have been like, well, maybe I want to protect it with Elijah Mitchell. I mean, again, these are things that seem much more obvious in hindsight. But the path to getting there, it, it was very real. And there are going to be teams that have that who are in the race for half a million dollars. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out this year. Because one of the things that you always hear is, oh, you can't win the big money that way. And you know, you talk about the fact that that's well, in part because most teams aren't playing that way. So you have a much larger sample of teams that are playing the other style. We have had some zero RB teams get up there close. I do think that there was a zero RB team that won the NFFC Classic in 2007. So I think that that actually has occurred. Uh, but this year, it's really set up. It'll be interesting to see if we get that. Then after the break, I want to ask you a little bit more about the running back apocalypse. Is 2022 the second occurrence of this nightmare? And what does it mean for some formats outside of maybe what we turn to be thinking of in terms of redraft? Colm Kelly here, the executive producer of the Road of His Radio Podcast Network and co-host of the Road of His Overtime Podcast, along with the phenomenal Sean Siegel. The wait is over, the NFL season is here, and there's no better time than the present to sign up for a Road of His NFL Pass. You'll get access to all of our content, all of our tools, and everything you need to help you for that in-season success. As a loyal podcast listener, you can get yourself a 10% discount to a Road of His NFL Pass just by adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. Let's go get those championships. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, Ben, as our listeners have come to expect, the tactical turtle our Rotoviz Triflex Dynasty team continues to get lucky, continues to win every week. We're eight and four. We're now uh, solidly into the playoffs despite our best attempts to wait one year on that. One of the reasons that we are in that position is because we don't have running backs and so we don't have exposure to all these injuries. Now, with McCaffrey and Cook going down, some of the power teams are getting weaker. Our team still does not look like a potential championship team, but if you know you fluke through some victories in the playoffs, who knows what will happen? We hopefully have Kyler Murray coming back. One of the things that I was mentioning to you before the show, and one of the things that we've talked about a variety of times, we talked about it a lot with our Evergreen Dynasty show, but this idea that you have to have better than the best possible team. And so one of the things that that means is that even though you're going to build throughout your rookie drafts, throughout your startup, throughout your trade process with a lot of depth and a lot of receiver depth, right? You're going to build to where you dominate all the flexes, depending on how your format is structured. There are a lot of formats out there now where they're essentially start 10. You might only have to start one running back. Most of them only have to start two. Some of those are super flex, but there's a a way in which you're going to start four five, six, maybe even seven wide receivers. Obviously wide receiver depth is important in that kind of format. It's important in the RV triflex format. But I was kind of lamenting and, you know, all these injuries happen, you know, you know, they're going to happen. You take the good from it. And one of the things that I have that maybe not all listeners have is that I, I have, I don't know, 12 to 15 dynasty teams. We have uh, 10 or 11 high stakes teams. And so usually when something bad happens to some of your teams, that means now the path to a championship is clearer for your other teams. And so you just, you kind of take the good with the bad. If you're only playing two or three teams, there's a little bit less of that. And so that can be hard for listeners at at key moments because you get these injuries and you're just done, right? But my dynasty teams are built around, almost all of them, built around either Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook. Uh, You were kind of joking that one of your family members has an elite redraft team with both of those guys. 
Curtis and I did this re this dynasty startup where we have both Cook and McCaffrey. It wasn't doing well anyway, but you know we have injuries to both of those guys again. We do know we have to build this team that's better than the best possible redraft team. At the same time, we continue to get more and more evidence to suggest that the way to do that is by trying to get you know eight of the top twenty wide receivers as opposed to creating exposure to these running back injuries. Yeah. Um... This is funny. We talked about this a little before the show, and I was telling you that I've I've won a couple of dynasty leagues. I haven't been playing for a long time, but I have a tendency to lose out in the playoffs. And part of the reason is I build these teams that are very, very receiver heavy, good, deep receiver cores. But in the playoffs, you do need that running back. And you're just talking about having, you know, your teams built around a Christian McCaffrey or a Dalvin Cook. I mean, that that can be huge, obviously. But lately, I've been trying to pivot to that more and getting myself a little bit more running back upside on some of these rosters. But your your suggestion now is in Dynasty, we should be thinking more like the way that I, my Dynasty ro rosters used to look rather than how my Dynasty rosters currently look. Well, it sounds to me like you lost. You were t talking about how McCaffrey was just the 35% win rate guy. It seems like he really hammered you in a crucial formative dynasty season, and you went back a little bit away from that. Would that be an accurate depiction at all? Or, or you have some other running backs who crushed your teams in the semis and finals as well? I, I mean, I don't know if it was any specific running backs or – I mean, I I probably should do more actual accounting on, on the, the results, but – at a certain point at the end of the year when you've been running selling signals all year, you're just like, oh, I won or oh, I lost. So when your team loses, I mean, sometimes you just get bad luck. I mean, I know there's a year where a couple years where I've had, you know, teams be high scoring in the semifinals and facing the only other high scoring team and, and that kind of a deal. But so, I mean, that there there's always that luck factor. But no, I wouldn't say that there was any individual running backs. I think it's just looking at my rosters and going, you know, I, I mean, and one of the things with well, like you didn't zero, have Leonard Fournette, it seems like, is the problem. Right. There you go. One of, one of the issues with Dynasty, I mean, I'm talking about teams that have really bad running backs because I just put a lot. I mean, every, even in rookie drafts, I just want to take the running backs. And you can't pick up some of these guys, right? Like, they're deep enough leagues that like, Cordero Patterson may have already been rostered. Elijah Mitchell certainly was. I was lucky enough to get him in, in several leagues this year, which is great. I'm excited about that. But there's it's not the same as redraft for anyone who isn't playing dynasty you're not able to pick up many of these names you can pick up some of them but you know daryl williams we're also seeing a dynamic though in terms of the trade market these rv triflex leagues other leagues that are out there where even win now and we're not saying like win now from the perspective of like you've got a tiny window but just a dominant team that's in position to get a buy and potentially win right now. They're reluctant to pay even very, very reasonable prices for a player like a James Connor who does have value now and could help you get across this season for a Cordero Patterson, for a Daryl Henderson. If you were set with the type of wide receiver firepower that we've been discussing and you pick those guys up, I mean, Again, we can see that sometimes these this value can dissipate quickly, like what has ha actually happened to Henderson over the last month. But that type of path, are you not seeing that in some of your leagues? 
Well, Sean, <laughs> the funny response to that is we have some work to do in my dynasty, uh, my dynasty skills, because the funny response to that is I've made, I believe, zero dynasty <laughs> trades during the regular season this year. Again, when you're writing stealing signals every week and you're doing all the other things, playing DFS and everything, I, I'm a bad dynasty owner. I just got to admit that. So I don't think, I mean, yes, there was probably opportunities for that, but I don't think I've made a single trade in season this year. And I only have like five dynasty teams, but yeah, we're, we're going to work on this through the off season. This is your reclamation project. Now I don't think you realized how, uh, how green I am at dynasty, but uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to talk through this, but so you're saying I should have been trying to acquire some of these zero RP candidates during the season it's a novel concept well one of the things that you and i did right is that we're set up and and we talked about some possible trades that you were reluctant because you're like i just i haven't had these future firsts before i don't want to give them up we have four firsts we have multiple seconds we have multiple thirds and we do know that those are going to be hard to spend all of depending on again different format listeners are are playing different formats as they kind of go through this here but you're going to be limited in terms of the number of roster spots you have and so there is an element where you can make some of these picks and immediately trade the players for future picks. Or once you get on the clock, you can trade those for more future picks. And one of the ways in which you can create more total value for your roster than what other managers are going to have would be to keep pushing some of these into the future so that you have essentially more roster spots than anybody else because you have more future picks than other managers. At the same time, one of the things about, and this is something that I've been doing a lot more recently because it just is the one thing that people want when they're trying to make these trades, is that a lot of times a, a, th a future third will have more value actually than a good veteran. Not, not a great veteran, not a clear-cut starting veteran, but a borderline veteran starter simply because that future third can be anything. They can be the next Elijah Mitchell, right? And so you can make plays for those players now and you can do it without getting old so many of the times that you see dynasty managers make trades to win now they do close off part of their championship window we talk about perpetual reloading we talk about the idea of potentially even trading one of your young studs as you go into the fantasy playoffs with a championship kind of team which would be very difficult to do but to continue to maximize the total value and the total upside of your team to continue to create a lot of depth all of the dynasty teams that i have have all of the ir spots used up it's been that kind of season right everybody's getting hurt you're going to have injured players on your team you're going to be able to get through that better if so much of your roster value isn't tied up in a christian mccaffrey or a dalvin cook and one of the things that you know you can say on the flip side of that is that yeah I mean, if you built a strong enough team even with those guys out you're still a contender right so i still have these dreams of competing at the same time, if you had turned McCaffrey or Cook into their value in terms of a combination of current players and future picks, you know, a pick that could be the next Javante Williams, for example, then you still have a lot of that upside and you've diversified your risk and you continue to diversify your risk every season as you go along. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. One of my issues is most of my dynasties, this is, this is why I was so excited. We talked about this when we did our dynasty startup, our listeners might remember a little bit most of the leagues that i'm in are industry leagues and i find it very challenging playing with a lot of like-minded people to get those future picks and and do some of those types of things 
Um, and some of the times that I've tried to make some of those trades, it becomes a little bit more difficult. I think, I don't know. I, I, this is one of the reasons I don't make a ton of dynasty trades is I, I find that um, it's uh, really relative to the league that you're in. Right. I mean, is that fair? You think? One of the things that you have going for you in an industry league is that you have relationships with the other managers and that makes trades easier. If you send out a trade and the other manager is way off on the valuation, you're not likely to, you know, shut down talks for a long time. They'll just be like, you know, Ben, I'm, that's, that's not where I am on this. They won't think that you're trying to, to cheat them. They'll just understand that you are in a different spot than, than they are on a player. And you can kind of work through that with people. You can find kind of where the interests meet, the needs meet. You can continue to work for those kinds of things. It does, you know, th there is this element of time invested with it, but I think that's one of the fun parts of Dynasty. I mean, the reason that we do all this stuff, we, we talk about DFS, we talk about high stakes. You know, there is money involved. We like to win money. Our listeners, we hope, are also winning uh, in their formats in which that's an element. But we all got into this in the first place because it's fun, right? And there aren't too many things in fantasy that are more fun than kind of crafting this long-term vision of your Dynasty roster and part of that is to continue to do that through trades as you go along. So, I mean, one of the things that's interesting too, I had a trade that Monty Fawn and I were working on for a long time in our league that's similar to the one that you and I are doing, where it just, you know, we would send out a trade offer, it would get rejected, we would get a trade offer back, and it would be, I mean, we're just operating on these two opposite poles where the trades are just nowhere close, you know, for weeks, and then suddenly the trade happens and, you know, someone you thought you just had no possible way of getting to the conclusion with, then you have the trade. It works out for both sides. The teams get better. And one of the reasons to do these trades and one of the reasons why I think it's important to not get kind of stuck in an industry format either is that those trades, they help you. They help the person you trade with. They really hurt the other 10 managers. And so the more of those trades that you can pull off, the better that you are there. And I think that part of it, too, is just this idea of understanding you know, if there is another team of the other 11 teams out there where you have a fit where it's going to help both squads, I think so many times managers can get caught in this idea of the player valuations are what drive the trades, you know, and I'll get emails from different people or messages at times when we're trying to work out a trade, kind of explaining that the trade calculator has this trade even, and that's not really what it's about, right? It's about trying to find a situation where, the players match, yes, but the direction of the two squads work in which what you need player-wise fits what they need to get rid of or vice versa. You have this combination of picks and players that will work and and being willing to make mistakes. I mean, <laughs> I had a trade the other day that I was telling you about where as part of it, I was going to need to give up Justin Herbert and take back Justin Fields in a super flex. And then, you know, later that day, <laughs> Herbert throws for you know, four or five touchdowns and, and Fields gets hurt again. And so you're like, yeah, immediately this, there's this massive loss. But embracing the uncertainty is not just something that we want to do with our redraft drafts, but it's something we want to do with our dynasty trades and the way that we're thinking of those. The other thing, Ben, that I think really makes trades work is offer at least four players and ask for four players back because then the whole thing gets exciting enough. It's hard for the other manager not to engage. It's, I mean, 
It might just confuse them into accepting. <laughs> no, I like what you're saying about Fields and Herbert and how the values switch immediately. I mean, I think as you were saying that, I was thinking, I, I tend to think of Dynasty as this thing. I, I play in some a decent amount. Um, I, I've tried to shift most of mine toward best ball, which I, I really enjoy dynasty best ball. The one that I started years ago that, that you're in and, and we talk about from time to time is a dynasty best ball. It's called the six month dynasty league because we can only modify our, our rosters for six months of the year. And so I tend, I, I like, that's the way that I tend to think of dynasty is it's this fun thing I do in the off season, study the rookies, do the rookie drafts, build this team, and then just let her go. And during the season, as you were talking through that though, I, I hadn't really thought about how, in season, I mean, and we, we're talking about dynasty values all the time, but the dynasty values are shifting a lot. I mean, obviously, we understand how player narratives shift a lot during the season, and probably in season is a is one of the better times to be trying to make buys and sells where the market is constantly shifting. I mean, you just talked about Herbert had that great game, Fields didn't, and it immediately sort of impacted their values, at least in the short term. And potentially, I mean, it could have been an indication of something, you know, negative for fields in the long term, right? Or, or something. So that's that. I mean, just the way you put that, as far as anything that you said, sort of influencing my my thoughts or strategies going forward. I think that was a big one where like, yeah, I, I probably should be reflecting more on in-season trades because there is a really decent, you know, fluid market week to week to be trying to reshape things. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that we talk about sometimes is that you have this opportunity to reshape your roster kind of early in the offseason. You have this opportunity to do these fun best ball drafts early in the offseason before the ADP really gets set on what it's going to be for the new year, right? But I, I do think that as you are kind of racing down the stretch in dynasty leagues and people are trying to put together this roster that will win for now, that'll win the 2021 title, there's also this great opportunity to actually take advantage of these early values before everything does shift for the next year, because we're going to see some young players have just even solid finishes to the 2021 season. And as a result, as we kind of go through next year, their ADPs are going to creep up. They're going to creep up. They're going to creep up. And the prices are going to be so different at, you know, eight months from now that if you could make some moves for those guys at this point, you're going to feel very good about it. And again, one of the things that we like on this show, different managers have different strengths yeah, within fantasy and within the different formats, but take advantage of the uncertainty. Don't be afraid of it. And also really create that, that long-term wide receiver depth. Then as we go out today, we just got done doing the big articles for Monday and Tuesday. We chatted about some guys before the show. We had sort of the... The big changes with the injuries this week, we had the game with J.D. McKissick there and the uh, hopefully not serious injury that he suffered at the end. Uh, Antonio Gibson looked good this week. His routes were up, as you had mentioned to me. He also looked very dynamic as a rusher. Yeah, it was great to see. It seemed like he was healthy again for the first time in a while. Uh, you know, early this season, I talked a little bit in signals and, and we probably talked on the show. I can't really recall, but about how his, his share of routes per dropback had been a little bit higher than they they were last year. This 
this week on Monday night, we got uh, a season high snap share. We got the highest route share he's had since week one. You know, his, his like specific sort of usage on these routes wasn't really that different this year in the sense that McKissick still had his role on, you know, long third downs and in the two minute drill and all of these like specialized situations that are going to be McKissick spots. But Gibson was playing, you know, a lot more on early downs because last year McKissick would would work in on the early downs as well. And we actually saw that early on on Monday night that McKissick got a carry right away on a a first down, I think, or second down right right out of the gate. But when you look at the numbers, like where where his routes were at, they were up close to 50% in this game. His, his, His snaps are up. I mean, this was sort of the the ceiling. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it almost doesn't matter now for some people who have Gibson unless your your teams are still alive. But this was sort of the hope, the the upside for him early on. I mean, it's, it was pretty clear that he wasn't going to take all of the routes and take all of, you know, this full workhorse role. Although, to be fair, I mean, we've sort of seen a similar situation in Indianapolis play out that way where Jonathan Taylor has basically rendered Naheem Hines into a, a non factor in the offense he's taking taken sort of all of the routes um he did give up a couple this past week when they were throwing a ton in some of those specialized situations Hines played a little more but that was sort of the real real upside for Gibson if that could happen if he could completely render McKissick sort of not a part of the offense that's not going to happen McKissick's a good player um Hines is too but it's just it's just a different situation in Washington but we did see from Gibson Seven receptions. I believe someone said that was a career high. A lot, you know, there, there was, a, what, five for McKissick. A lot of targets to the running backs generally. But uh, McKissick was down below a 40% snap share for just the third time this year. I mean, I it seems like Gibson's healthy is the point I'm trying to make. And, I, and it's exciting. It's exciting to see that upside. And he could be someone that could go on a nice little run here the rest of the way. He needs to have enough routes to catch some passes. It was really great to see the seven receptions. Uh, you can't just be the, you know, sort of low value touch guy, especially because McKissick can work in a little bit in the, in the green zone. And McKissick got the two touchdowns in this game, even though Gibson did have several touches down there, I think three, which is, um, a solid amount of green zone touches for one back for a game. I think McKissick may have only had two. I can't remember the exact number, but McKissick was able to score on his, on his green zone touches. Gibson was not. Yeah, Gibson getting uh, a ton of rush volume in these last few games and also potentially having this type of receiving ceiling can make him a real a real force down the stretch. Yeah, he's he's looked good and appears to be potentially on the verge of actually justifying some of the hype Blair and I have a lot of him in our sort of early FFPC best balls. A couple of those moved into first place this last week uh, with Gibson getting the big points, excited to see that the young back coming through there. Then we talked about Barkley early in the show as being somebody who probably took a lot of people out, especially if they stacked him into some teams where they had some other good players and he was probably the whole, but he is the back that we have with Pat and Pete. We lost the Andre Swift. We now need Barkley to score for us. He has 18 opportunities in this game, but they were maybe the least exciting 18 opportunities you will see. He has 40 rushing yards, but 32 of them come on one sprint. Now, it was the kind of situation where it's going to be hard to keep handing the ball to Barkley when he doesn't look like he's going anywhere on most touches, and yet – we do know that he's a guy who has the athleticism to break some of these plays. 
you got to give him a chance to do that. But then also you have to scheme him into space a little bit. The pass attempts to Barkley really appear to be afterthoughts. This was not kind of the dynamic you know, shift in the Giants offense that people might have been looking for, even though their defense played very well, controlled the game, delivered them the victory against the Eagles here. One of the other things to note was on the time when the uh, there were multiple opportunities for the Giants to have a carry from the one yard line because the Eagles continue to commit pass interference in the end zone. Now, most of those were ignored by the officials, but one was called. And then on the very next play, they throw a touchdown pass to Chris Myarnik, which really seemed to be driving home the point that they were doing everything they could to not give the ball to Barkley in short yardage. They don't feel good about either the offensive line making a push or him having the legs and the just the ability right now to drive through the line. Tell me I'm wrong and that this is going to switch. Now, we saw this at the beginning of the season, a different injury, but the first two weeks, basically nothing. Weeks three and four, average 25 points per game. He's two weeks back from this most recent injury, basically nothing. Are we going to see an explosion here? The sort of complicating factor is now it looks like the Giants are going to drop from Daniel Jones, who maybe not an elite NFL quarterback, to Mike Glennon, who definitely not. At the same time, one of the things that kind of jumped out again this week is that the Giants are almost running this very dysfunctional version of what the Bills run. And if you remove Daniel Jones as one of the most, I mean, he's kind of got the rushing element that Josh Allen has, but it doesn't mean as much if you're not going to be down there in the red zone all the time, like the bills are because Josh Allen also has the cannon. He puts the bills in all these great scoring opportunities, but with Jones out and Glennon, more or less a statue back there. Could this be the thing? I mean, you're never looking for a backup quarterback to unlock your sort of hybrid star runner. Is there any silver lining? I mean, maybe he's not mobile. <laughs> he's he's a, a giraffe that can barely move around from one spot. And so the dump offs typically are there for those guys. I was just trying to check his running back target rate. I wasn't seeing anything quickly, but I I, I mean I think you have to assume that he's gonna throw running backs at a decent amount, especially when he has Saquon Barkley. I mean, look, I was encouraged a little bit by this game. It's Bar- Barkley's first game back, he only played 62% of the snaps in week 11. And then this game, he jumped up to 87%. He ran routes on 73% of dropbacks. He was right back to sort of the workhorse role. Yeah, it didn't get there this week in this game, which was against an Eagles team who have are on this streak of six straight games where their pass rate over expectation is you know 13 percentage points below expected or or further below, lower. Uh, and, and in this game, they were at 17.5% points below expected which was um their second lowest of the season it was one of the lowest of uh, in you know it was one of the probably the bottom 10 lowest of any teams for the entire season but every week you tell me the eagles are setting new records in terms of running the ball when they should pass yes they are calling an insane amount of run plays they lose 13 to 7 in this game and and didn't learn anything but in doing so, I think they learned that Jalen Rager is not the breakout star of 2021. Yeah, they chucked, chucked it downfield to him a bunch. He had this big spike in targets and had 155 air yards, and it didn't do much. 
but that that slows the game way down. It becomes a 13-7 game. It's not ideal uh, in terms of a, an environment for running back to explode. But I thought the snap share, the route share were very positive, positive notes. And I'll also just say broadly, this was sort of the concern with Barkley that he's in this offense that, you know, he did catch four passes, but that there's not going to be a lot of room to go anywhere a lot of the time. And then the thesis was, but he's good enough to do better, you know, to, to make plays out of that. Like you were saying, he can make these explosive plays. I think you got to just bank on that, man. Like I'm, I'm actually sort of excited with this role and in, in not a game like this, that was so slow and, and ugly and 20 total points that he's able to, you know, especially if they can get into a, a more up-tempo game. And if Glennon's checking down a little bit more and he can get to 25 touches, maybe with this big snapshot, certainly possible that he's able to hit, hit on some big plays and, and potentially have a long touchdown. We've not seen a long touchdown from him this year. Obviously he hasn't played a ton, but the only couple TDs he's had have all been right by the goal line. As far as I can recall, it's still there, man. He still has explosiveness. He's, he's been able to get some juice on the corner and, and, and create a couple of plays. I think we might, we might have reason for, for excitement on him. Okay. And then the last one, you've got me fired up there. That's exactly what I wanted. Um, the last one here. A flex choice that we face, probably a flex choice that a lot of listeners will face in the next week or so. Philadelphia, Miles Sanders back. He was sprinting through these holes, gashing the Giants, leaves a couple times with sort of re-aggravation of the ankle injury. Boston Scott goes in. He scores a 21-yard touchdown in the first half. It's called back for holding. He scores again in the second half, I mean, for the first real time. But he does commit a back-breaking fumble within the context of this offense that runs it every time, as you're saying. Uh, and especially, it, it sounded like kind of as we're recording on Tuesday night, the reports are that Sanders probably is, is still okay. And so we could. Uh, the interesting thing here, I think, is just how difficult it is going to be to know, you know, what the workload will be for these guys. The funny thing that I thought <laughs> was that Kenny Gainwell basically didn't play in this game. And yet he led the team in receiving and Miles Sanders and Boston Scott both look good. And yet Jalen Hurts led the team in rushing. I kind of feel like that's not the profile to winning a game, which obviously they didn't win. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I believe here, and it, it hurts me because I love him, loved him as a prospect uh, is about Gainwell, but he was a day three guy. And we do have to like, keep that in mind as much as we like him, from a profile perspective and we think this guy can be very, very good. The Eagles didn't invest a lot of draft capital in him and don't necessarily have a reason to be all in on him. They played him a lot early on alongside Sanders and he made some plays. He was exciting to watch. I was really excited about him. I was actually surprised when I went and looked at his pro football reference page the other day that he's only averaged 3.6 yards per carry this year. Cause he's had some explosive plays. Most of them have been in the red zone though. So then it's like, you know, it's only like a 10 yard touchdown or a 15 yard touchdown. He hits a gash and he scores, but you know, yards per carry, whatever stupid stat in terms of his skill, but in terms of them looking at it, he's only averaged 3.6 yards per carry. But the biggest thing that I do believe about Gainwell, and this is very unfortunate is that they essentially think he can't run. The last game that they gave him double digit, or the only game they gave him double digit carries, but the last time he was really involved in the rushing attack, he rushed 13 times for 27 yards. The next week, he only rushed twice, twice. He was deactivated. This past week, he was active. You mentioned he barely played. He had four targets and three catches. He's playing a little bit in the passing game. 
zero carries in a game where, as you said, Sanders was banged up and Howard was out. They were giving everything to Boston Scott. And right when they switched over to this run heavy, uh, you know, philosophy was right about when Sanders got hurt. I was really excited for Gainwell. That's when they said, actually, you're third on the depth chart. We're going with Howard, who we just added, and we're going with Boston Scott because we think these guys can run the ball. So this is a very run-heavy offense. They're be- they've been efficient running the ball. Um, but it, it they have shown some really strong signals that they don't think he, Gainwell, is a handoff type of running back. He's just a, you know, a pass route, pass down type of running back uh, over this last month because they've been in these really run heavy, you know, scripts and they're not using him that way at all. They're they're, I mean, I almost feel like if, if Sanders is out, they're going to find some other back. They're going to activate someone else and have that guy run with Boston Scott. They've made it almost that clear. Now Gainwell is running some routes, but the other issue is Scott when they deactivated Gainwell, Scott obviously has a, has a pass catching background. They used him for most of their routes. This past week when Gainwell and Scott were both active because Howard was out, Scott did run more routes than Gainwell, even though Gainwell uh, had the better receiving line. As you noted, he ended up being their highest yardage receiver with 32 receiving yards. But um, Scott was out there actually in more routes. It's not even like Gainwell is the the pure receiving back. He's just like a partial receiving back. Yeah, I so if that's sort of my opinion of Gainwell, then you say, okay, Howard's – I think going to probably be out again. I haven't really seen the reports, but it sounds like he, it sounded last week like he was going to maybe miss a couple of weeks. And if Sanders is banged up, then I think Boston Scott is actually really interesting. I think he gets, I mean, he had 16 carries in this game. Again, they ran the ball a ton, excuse me, 15 carries. They ran the ball a ton, didn't give Gainwell a single carry. I think it like it would probably be a scenario where Gainwell gets a few carries, but I don't think there's a lot of scenarios where Gainwell gets like 10. I mean, it just doesn't seem like what they're thinking and so that would mean that Scott would have to carry a pretty big chunk of the load, probably 15 carries again. Hertz runs a little, um, you know, depending on who their other back is that's up, might get a couple of carries as well. And the, the really, obviously, the other thing that I haven't necessarily said here, Gainwell playing in the passing down is great in most offenses, but this team isn't throwing. So that's the other part. I mean, he has sort of the partial routes role. In this offense, you want a back that's running 60% routes, not 30%. And so it's tough. I, I don't. I man, I like Gainwell. I want to see him play. I hope I'm wrong on this, but I don't see a lot of pass. You kind of need the offense to suddenly start throwing a little bit more, which is one thing. And two, you need them to see him differently than they seem to see him as a player. And so you kind of need to get two things right to get to where Gainwell is actually producing for you. And I don't think you were necessarily asking about Gainwell, but because of that, because of the way they've seemed to really pigeonhole him with their usage lately, and that can change, but because of the way they've seemed to pigeonhole him, I feel a lot better about Scott, especially if if Sanders is banged up. Yeah, I think that's a perfect breakdown of it there. Scott, a pretty exciting guy this week. The potential for the big touch numbers are there. Again, we don't know what Sanders is going to be able to do, but even if he does play, the re-aggravation concern is going to be omnipresent. Uh, Sanders and Scott are two of the best running backs in 2021 in terms of yards before contact. I mentioned that more than most people because I think it's more of a running back skill. Blair Andrews has done some good research showing that as well. One of the things that we see here is that uh, regardless of how you look at it, the fact that these guys are generating yardage is something that we can see kind of the influence of Jalen Hurts with how teams have to defend them in the run plays. We're seeing the quality of their offensive line. 
I mean, these guys, if they get good touch numbers, could end up with a lot of yards. They could end up, you know, with some touchdowns. They have a very nice matchup this week. And so if you need a flex or you need a, a running back too, I mean, obviously we want flexes to be wide receivers, but depending on injuries that you're having, you know, if you're dealing with a Debo, if you're dealing with a, a bye week kind of concern, this is a backfield you want to check out. You can see some of those advanced stats in the advanced stat explorer at Rotoviz. Ben, we need to kind of wrap it up there, but it's been another fun chat. Yeah, absolutely. Always a good time. We'll be back. We talked about a lot of topics today, but I'm certain we're going to find a lot more uh, for Friday. We will. We will. It'll be a lot of fun. So thank you all for listening. That has been Stealing Bananas. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. Subscribe to the newsletter, Stealing Signals. You will love that. You can get a 10% discount to Rotovez with the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Subscribe to the feed. The tempo is going to be a little bit different over the next month or two. You'll get those shows when they release. If you have that subscription, leave us a rating and review if you can. We appreciate all you guys have done for us on that account. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.